Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey listeners, and welcome to another episode here at Feelin' Film. I'm Patch, and with me, anxious to answer the question that has been plaguing the world for almost 20 years, why is the rum gone, is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Ahoy, mate! I like that, it's nice. (laughs) This month, we asked our patrons to choose a summer blockbuster for us to cover, and Gore Verbinski's Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Could That Title Get Any Longer?, (laughs) came out on top let's not (laughs) test them yes we don't need any more colons and subcolons in our movie titles let's just keep it straight one word if we can so at this point here be spoilers as we are prone to do because we love talking about movies as a whole so if this is one that you have not had a chance to watch do yourself a favor watch it enjoy it and then come back for the conversation we begin as always with one word takeaways and i will kick us off and the word that came to mind for me after I watched this, Aaron, was adventure. And I thought to myself, sometimes you just need a good adventure story. I mean, there are so many fantastic stories out there. And very few of them center around pirates, which was really interesting to me. It reminded me of why I enjoy films like Goonies and Hook. Not just because there's pirates that are involved, but because we get into this world of legends and myths and seeing characters that we may or may not be familiar with come to life on the big screen. And I think what we get with Pirates of the Caribbean, this first entry specifically, is this notion of a modern day pirate tale. I get that this takes place in the past. We're not talking about a 2003 pirate, but it feels updated and at the same time keeps those classical beats that those old school pirate movies had and when i went to see this in the theater i remember just saying this is the best movie of the year now i was just a young lad who didn't know much about movies i think i was in college or maybe just leaving college yeah i was just leaving college so i thought i knew everything at that point but i remember leaving the theater and wanting to go back and see it again i mean it really was a fantastic theater experience and I think it had to do with the fact that it brought me back to those young adventure stories that I grew up enjoying as a kid of the 80s, but also reminiscent of the days of like Errol Flynn and the classic pirate tales that I didn't grow up watching, but my dad did. I mean, he absolutely loves this franchise. I'll go on record and say that he loves, loves, loves the pirate franchise because of that reason, because it takes him back to that. And I have to say, being a chip off the old block, it appeals to me as well. So it was a great adventure and um, I'm glad that it exists. Well, for me, you know, I would go so far as to say, I'm not sure what the best film of that year was, but this is probably in the top five, regardless of whatever the top film of that year is. Um, So spoiler alert, uh, I'm right there with you and your dad. I love this franchise as a whole. I am unapologetic in enjoyment of all of the entries in this franchise, despite the fact that some of them are not nearly as good as The Black Pearl. But my one more takeaway for this movie, Patrick, was definitive, and much for the reasons that you started to speak about. I'm only choosing this, though, because yo-ho is technically two words. I really wanted to go with yo-ho. But, you know, you should have. It's a hyphen. It's hyphen, right? Uh, it's no, it's technically. It's I don't not. think it is. OK, so yo, ho, yo, ho, the definitive pirate movie for me. Well, <laughs> when you mentioned the theme of superheroes and any any number of favorite movies could come up, you know, and likewise for cowboys, knights, ninjas, any other favorite character archetype. But for the most part, if you ask someone what movie they think of when you say the word pirate, This is the film that's going to come up. The high seas adventure, the swashbuckling action, the questionable ideals, the tropical locales that we associate with the word pirate, they're all on display here. Just 
in tune with the pirate archetype Johnny Depp is giving the definitive performance of a pirate as Captain Jack Sparrow. You can say what you will about the ups and downs of his career and his personal life, but in this role and in this movie, he is truly iconic. And while we're at it, the incredible theme by Klaus Bedelt and Hans Zimmer that you and I were talking about offline before we started, and I personally was listening to for the last 20 minutes getting hyped for this, is so memorable that it has also become definitive of the adventurous pirate music. Much like I feel personally about Armageddon being kind of the disaster film that perfectly balances romance, humor, action, and stakes for its genre, this is the film that does the same with regards to the pirate theme. And it's unquestionably my favorite one of all time uh, for the theme, and I wish that we could continue to see more and more and more. Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow is the equivalent of Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. I don't know that I'm ever going to picture another pirate as piratey as Jack Sparrow because he just embodies what I now feel a pirate should look, sound, and act like. And just as a side note, Pirates of the Caribbean was number three of 2003, top grossing, behind The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, and Finding Nemo. So yet another underwater tale or a Definitely water tale. Definitely some that, tough competition, though. For, <laughs> glad, for sure. Glad I didn't just spout off and say it was the best of that year. <laughs> that would have put you in deep water. Pun intended. Okay. I was yeah, about to... <laughs> <laughs> well, to begin, I remember as you were watching this, you voxed me and you said, we need more movies like this. What did you mean by that, Aaron? Well, the rousing nature of this movie and the way that it makes you smile from start to finish, going on this adventure, feeling this range of emotions, and at times literally wanting to jump off of your couch and fist pump or get up with a broom in your hand and start sword fighting against a shadow on the wall... It's that kind of feeling, that immersive experience that just evokes physical response in you because you're so joyous that we don't see a lot of. We see a lot of fun adventure movies that I think hit on pieces of what Pirates gives us, but it's that whole package that it does so well. It's interesting, you were saying just now um, in your One More Takeaway about Errol Flynn, I personally had never seen any of the Errol Flynn pirate movies, so I took it upon myself this morning. I actually watched two, the most well-reviewed, well-regarded ones, Captain Blood and the Seahawk. And they're awesome. I love them. And you can see some of the inspiration that the Pirates of the Caribbean got from him. You can also see some of the inspiration and direct scenes, almost, that The Princess Bride got from those movies, and Errol Flynn is amazing as a pirate in those movies, but it is, like you said, it, it's just so different than what Jack Sparrow gives us, and because of that, we don't see characters like that in movies anymore. We just, I just don't feel like they're given the ability to take a franchise and make it their own. Modern examples of what I want to see more of would be things like Aquaman. It gave me the exact same response and the feeling of of excitement and adventure throughout mixing the romance and the humor and all of that stuff perfectly solo is another good example Um, so there's like a fantasy comic book movie and a sci-fi movie that kind of have the same tone as a pirates of the caribbean but ultimately bro i'm a sailor i cannot part with 15 and a half years of naval history of multiple six-month-plus deployments out in the middle of the ocean myself watching that horizon, this movie and pirate tales, for some reason, they get me on a different level, and I just want to see more of them. I completely agree. And as I was playing Assassin's Creed 4, no, 3, whichever one, I can't remember which one it was that I was playing, but it centers around a pirate story. You have essentially a, a character who is a pirate. And all I could think of was Jack Sparrow and the the water and the wind and the songs, the whole cultural aspect of what it means to be a pirate 
excites me. And I think it stems from this movie because a pirate's life is somewhat taboo. It can also be somewhat cliche. And what I think Verbinski did in this first entry was make a pirate's life accessible and meaningful through these different characters. When we talked about Toy Story 4 on our last episode, we mentioned that any Pixar movie is probably going to have depth to it because that's just the M.O. of the creators. And we could look at Pirates and see this movie as being just another adventure story, but it's got layers to it. It's got depth, and it's also got depth. You know, so much. To, oh, my goodness. Puns for days with that one. Depth and depth. <laughs> my Savvy? goodness. That's like a <laughs> double punundrum. Okay. Well, there we go. Of the three listeners that are still here, thanks. We appreciate you sticking around. <laughs> but I, I, I think when I see a movie like this come around and see how accessible it is, I think that's where my excitement really is amplified because I'm getting everything I want. I'm getting my adventure story. I'm getting fantastic choreography and fight sequences. None of that feels cheap, you know? Everything feels purposeful. Everything feels like it mattered, like how a scene is shot, the way a joke lands. All of it feeds together in making this really great cohesive story, which could otherwise felt cheap. Let's just make a fun adventure movie. No, let's make an adventure movie that's going to have a lasting impression and apparently make a ton of money so that it can spawn four sequels, <laughs> all of which have their own arguably moments. I haven't seen all of them, I confess. I'm hopefully going to catch up with that at some point. But the ones that I have seen all have highlights, but I don't think any of them really hit the 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 notes that this one does. No, there's no other movie in this franchise that is the total package. There's, there's just not. And in fact, there's quite a bit of drop-off. Honestly, the rest of them are not, they don't even reach great level. They reach good level. And part of that is the over-reliance on Jack Sparrow that ends up coming with the rest of the franchise. So it's a pro and a con. You know, it's, it works beautifully in this movie, but when they decided to make him the central figure going forward and kind of spin the entire world around him instead of having him be a character in it, it definitely changed the direction that the series was going. So this is the definitive one. When you mentioned to me that Jack Sparrow kind of outstays his welcome in the subsequent movies and how he feels really balanced among a cast of characters and a story like Pirates 1, I guess we'll call it that for short, it reminds me of the fact that this whole franchise, or maybe specifically this first entry, is actually based on the Disney ride. I didn't know that when I went in. And so when I saw the credits roll and I said, based on the Disney ride, the Pirates of the Caribbean, I kind of laughed out loud. I said, are you are you kidding me? Really? You made a movie based off of a kid's ride? And I think there were jokes that flew after that from the world of the Internet saying, are we going to get a it's a small world after all movie? What's that going to look like? Is it going to be just as annoying? But it works. And at least it does for me. Because it takes some of the fantasy, like the ghost story aspect of the ride, and it combines it with that traditional adventure genre that, that we have just given such high praise. And I, I wanted to ask, are there things about it that work really well versus not so much? Like, does, does Pirates work completely for you? Like, is it five star or are there parts of it that don't necessarily land for you in terms of how it balances those elements of the ride, the ghost story aspect with the standard adventure, like those, those two pieces fit together for you. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is a perfect movie. And as far as I'm concerned, yes, it's a five star movie. And, and I think it is an incredible feat to take an adventure ride in a theme park and craft a narrative around it. Now, part of the cool factor of that is just how unique it is. I actually, typically forget that there are other rides that have been made into movies. And I almost always am like, oh, this is the only one of its kind that's ever been done. That's actually not true. Disney has done this with several other films as well. A couple of them um, were The Country Bears, which was not great. Um, the Haunted Mansion, which was decent. Um, Jungle Cruise has an upcoming film that I'm actually pretty excited for. 
we don't know much about it yet, but it's got Michael Green attached as a co-writer. He co-wrote Blade Runner 2049 and also Logan, so he's got some clout with us. So I'm kind of excited for that film. It's got a great cast as well. And then Mission to Mars is another movie that I enjoy that has had a ride based off of it as well. And, of course, Tomorrowland, for those that don't know. Um, that's not even a ride so much as it is just a land <laughs> in Disneyland. And that got turned into a movie with mixed reviews. Patrick and I mostly enjoy that one as well. So it's not unheard of. It has worked before, but I don't think it's ever worked quite to this level. I think what really made it feel amazing to me is that once I saw the ride, Patrick, once I went on the ride itself, it has actually become my favorite ride in Disneyland as well. And the there are scenes in that ride that are recreated darn near perfectly in this movie. Things like the prisoners trying to get the dog to bring them the key stand out, where there's sunlight and one of them's hand is uh, a ghost hand. Um, and they're you know, trying to get the, the dog. And you just see the dog just sitting there completely kind of ignoring the bone that they're trying to give him. So that aspect of kind of, it's it's like having a book adapted to a movie where you remember certain sections of the book. And when they, you know, for the most part, an adaptation plays with that. It might change up the dialogue a little or change the way the scene played from the way in your head. But when something matches up exactly like it did in your head, it's a special moment. And we get quite a few of those from the ride to the movie. I also think it's incredible that Depp's wackadoodle performance almost feels like he's playing an animatronic robot. He feels like the character that we see in the ride, the way his movements are jerky and kind of funky and just not perfectly normally flowing like a human should, <laughs> or like we expect a human to flow. And so... I thought that that was a cool thing. Whether or not it's intentional or not, it makes me feel more connected to his character from the ride. So I loved it. I thought that the playing up of the ghost story is a big part of what makes this movie special. What takes it from just a normal pirate adventure, um, you know, combating Royal Navies versus Buccaneers like we see in those Errol Flynn movies. And this gives it its unique own flavor. It takes some of that mysticism from the Caribbean religions, throws it in, and you know, and gives it all kinds of fun stuff to do with your, you know, also lots and lots of lore from the sea and the nautical world that sailors would be aware of. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful mixture, um, and that's why I feel like it's. I keep going back to that word definitive. It's become the definitive version of what a pirates movie should be for me. I, I feel like something's missing. When I watch the old Errol Flynn movies and there's no tentacle faced, you know, Davy Jones, I'm like, well, where's he at? What's he, is he off like on vacation or something? So yeah, I, uh, I think that the way that they implemented the ride and turned it into a movie is masterful. I think so too, because it, the, the ride itself is a great story. And to add those elements and to amp them up to 11 with special effects and with great writing really invites you into that story because that's what those rides are supposed to do is you're going through and you're experiencing the adventure on a boat and you are seeing scenes play out. How do you move that onto the big screen and how do you put it in? Oh my goodness. An over two hour movie, which surprises me by the way, I didn't realize it was that long, but it didn't feel that long. And I think it's because you add a lot more of those narrative layers, like adding that ghost story subplot, adding the curse itself. And with Cortez's gold, there's so much history that is wrapped up in fantasy. It makes it difficult in a good way to try to separate those because I almost want to feel like, oh, this actually happened. Yeah, Cortez's gold. I remember that. Or do I remember that? No, it, I don't think it really happened. But I don't care at this point. I I like the fact that there's this meshing of fact and fiction to create a story that is connectable to a modern audience and at the same time leave room for fantasy so that we can have ghosts that are skeletons in the moonlight 
and squid looking faces on on other folks. And a guy like Jack Sparrow, excuse me, Captain Jack Sparrow, who does what he does with his mannerisms, who is animatronic. And I, you know, first of all, let me just say I love I love when uh, when he's made fun of when you have when you have Turner, he just kind of gives that face like, oh, is that why he's like, you know, and he makes the the arm movements. I want to say that was almost ad libs uh, by Orlando Bloom because. Johnny Depp encapsulates a character that I didn't even know existed. I mean, I knew him in name, obviously from the ride, but he brings that character to life. And at the same time, he's not a flat character. He is the classic anti-hero, a main character who lacks traditionally heroic characteristics. So I was going to ask you, what appeals to you about Jack specifically? This story doesn't necessarily center around him but he helps move the story forward so specifically his character what what do you find appealing about him i love the fact that jack brings a unique sense of humor to the world that doesn't really seem to exist outside of him the there are there are comedic bits there are comedic characters like the pair of guards and the kind of paralleling pair of shipmates on Barbosa's crew. I've always enjoyed how those two pairs kind of play off of each other on different sides. And they actually have some fun moments that play out throughout the series that are progressive for their characters. But other than them, you know, most of the humor is brought to us by Jack. And he seemingly doesn't take anything seriously, but yet you know that he's taking things very seriously that that are mattering to him, that are very important to him. I love that so much of this story hinged on him saving Elizabeth in the very beginning. It's something that I realized this go around that I don't know that I ever really kind of picked up on. I was just like, oh, that's a good moment. But he is in the process of coming into Port Royal and... His intentions, of course, are to steal a ship, and yet he's sitting there talking to the guards, and he sees this woman fall off of a tower, and he just jumps in to save her, knowing full well that it's probably not going to go well for him. And yet we see right away, like, he's got this good-hearted nature, right? It wins out. And I think that it's really fun to watch a character like this that fills that anti-hero role so perfectly. Jack didn't think to himself, I'm a villain, should I do this or not? Jack reacted because he saw someone in need, and his first thought was, someone's going to save her, right? Like, you guys going to save her? Somebody's got to save her. He didn't know who she was, he didn't care, but he knew that someone needed to save the person that needed saving. And so he jumped in to do it, without hesitation. And yet, at the same time, he will leave people behind or kind of trick them like he does Will and Elizabeth at times in order to get what he wants, never at the cost of their lives. He never puts people in a situation where they're dangerous. That's one thing that I think stands out about him and that helps me root for him because I feel like he's got that pure heart where he's never willing to sacrifice other people or his crew. He always cares about lives And despite his quirkiness and the goofy things that come out of his mouth, he is a barrel of wisdom at times. It's, it's shocking. You know, the, the time where he tells Will, there's a great moment and Will says, I'm not obsessed with treasure because they're fighting about it down in the cave. And he's like, not all treasure is silver and gold, mate. And it's a, wonderful like very thoughtful line that makes will pause and realize oh i'm really upset about elizabeth like that's what is important and that's what matters um there's a great line where he's explaining uh, his own pirating his anti-hero nature where he says me i'm dishonest and a dishonest man you can always trust to be dishonest honestly it's the honest ones you want to watch out for because you can never predict when they're going to do something incredibly stupid it's hilarious but at the same time it's 
really cool that he would know himself so well and say that in a way that in reality is supporting what he's telling them that they should trust him. So I love that about him. And I love that he trusts his crew no matter what, that there is a respect that they have for him. And there is a respect that he has that goes the other way, especially shows in that scene where the crew is talking about leaving him behind and taking the pearl and Elizabeth then is like, what are you doing? We have to go back for Jack. Or maybe it might have been Will. And he tells him, he says, they done what's right by them. Can't expect more than that. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't harbor like bad feelings for them because it's what he would have done as well. And he understands that because they took care of themselves and they made sure they were in a good place. And so I think he's one of the best anti-heroes we've ever seen because he does have that heart of gold and yet on the surface his actions may look like they don't care about anybody else and they're totally selfish and they kind of are but at the same time he does so many things that aren't selfish and ah it's just so much fun to watch play out over the course of the whole film he has a sensibility about him that i think is different from a lot of other characters and i think that what he does is he challenges what it means to break the rules for the sake of the greater good. And I think that's by design. You have a character like Captain Jack who, by definition, as is set up by Elizabeth early on, who's afraid of pirates, it's set up early uh, early enough that pirates are bad. Pirates are bad. The Royal Navy is good, and if you're a pirate, you get hanged. And if you're not, you get to marry the adorable Kira Knightley. And so you look at that kind of situation and on the surface, you're like, well, I don't want to be a pirate. Pirates, pirates die. But what Captain Jack Sparrow does throughout the movie is he challenges when and if it's right to actually break the rules. He breaks the rules most of the time. I mean, he gets into Port Royal, gives the guy three shillings and then takes a bag full of like probably 10 or 12 of them which is not unexpected. What is unexpected is him rescuing Elizabeth, knowing full well that he's probably going to get arrested and or killed. But it also says a lot about how he lives each day by the seat of his pants. You know, he picks himself up by his bootstraps, quite literally sometimes. And he is a character who looks at the world that he lives in and says, there's a pirate code that gets joked about as more of a guideline, but I really think that's the mentality of the world of pirates, where you have a you have a set of guidelines that you live by, but they're fluid enough that they can be overcome for the sake of friendship, for the sake of loyalty, for the sake of real valuing of other people. And I think that's what I enjoy most about him, is that you don't know at any given point throughout the film if he's going to betray one person or another, but you know he's going to. You hope it's the people that need to be betrayed, you know, the quote bad guys like Barbosa and his crew, but you don't know that. And I, I think that's the great mystery about him. Even on the island when he's with Elizabeth and the whole thing about how he got off the island was completely fabricated, but he didn't seem surprised by it. He was like, I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. This is what happens. And you could probably translate that to being lazy i think it's just a matter of being realistic and loving life like I, I think he looks at life and what he experiences as an opportunity to succeed or fail and i think both of those are okay with him he does and and he has a very special way with words and and the way that he is able to talk himself out of things or to use words in a way that are non-specific and yet to him he's telling the truth so he is one of those people who would you would probably call out and say no jack deceiving is the same as lying so you know leaving out information is not okay you can't call that the truth and honesty 
So when he says that he doesn't tell them what happened to how he gets off the island, he lets their their imaginations go for it. And he just, he rides with it, right? And this specificity in words happens all the time throughout the film. It happens with Jack quite a few times when he promises to take Will to the Black Pearl and to Elizabeth. That's all he promises. And they get there and Will's like, wait a second. And he's like, I told you I'd get you here. Like, that's all, that's all I said I would do. (laughs) I didn't promise anything else. And Barbosa has a line that kind of speaks to that as well. You know, where he says he's, it's the great line at the, at the first meeting with Elizabeth. And he tells her first, your return to shore was not part of our negotiations, nor our agreement. So I must do nothing. And secondly, you must be a pirate for the pirate's code to apply. And you're not. And thirdly, the code is what you more you'd call guidelines than actual rules it's all about that specificity of words and we see it in jack and barbosa which is also great storytelling because they're a foil and they have a similar quality to them and so you never know which one's going to outmaneuver the other one with their words it's not just going to come down to who's physically more capable on a sword fight that's awesome because it's a pirate movie you expect it to come down to a sword fight and it does but there's so much that happens because of the words that both Jack and Barbosa use. It, it's equally about a battle of wits as it is about a battle of, of swords. And it reminds me a lot of The Princess Bride in that, exactly. that triplet of you have Wesley going through these phases of being able to outwit, outmatch these different foes. And I think Jack and Barbosa are a fantastic foil for each other because you're right. Not once, but twice does Barbosa get the best of Elizabeth and then Will when Will makes his demands and he uses Will's words against him or the lack of words. You have to be specific. If you're going to follow this code, if you're going to follow these rules, you're going to follow them to the letter. It's very legalistic. And Barbosa and Jack are both smart enough to know they're calling BS on those that are trying to use the pirate code to get what they want. You're not a pirate, so you don't understand the specificity that has to happen. If you, and really, Aaron, I think what it is, it's their way of saying, you're not a pirate. We don't respect what you're doing by using the code. You know, this whole thing with parlay, I believe both Jack, I mean, Jack uses it, but Barbosa and the two guys who get frustrated with them, I think they really articulate how frustrated that rule is, but more so because non-pirates are using it. I mean, in all honesty, if you're a pirate, you don't need to follow any rules. That's that's the rule, is that you can break the rules. But there's this, this weird thing the, about the pirate code that keeps these guys in line. And it reminds me that even in chaos, there have, has to be structure. There has to be some kind of way in which you can be. It's why we get the kinds of choreography we do with some of the fight sequences. I I remember one of my favorite scenes is between Will and, and Jack inside the, the, uh, the blacksmith shop. And he says, if I go here, then you'll, and of course, Will counters. And there are rules of engagement that happen there. They fight. And then at some point he blows smoke or blows dirt in will's face and he goes you cheated and what does jack say pirates so all throughout the movie we get this back and forth about is following the rules what we should be doing should we be breaking the rules and i think jack's character and barbosa are both two characters who say why can't we do both when the situation calls for us to follow the rules or to go by these guidelines whatever they are let's do it it's really about what serves myself and what serves the greater good and I think there's some tension there between Barbosa and Sparrow. Oh, definitely. And and it's played out even better with the supporting characters of Norrington and Elizabeth's father and the idea of the Royal Navy, who, by all accounts, in so many ways, we should kind of maybe root for in some regard. Like, they're taking care of shipping. They're theoretically governing and creating a safe environment for people to live and trade and go about their daily business. And the pirates are out plundering and taking. And because they don't feel that they're getting enough. It would be, I don't know, like if 
we felt like we were being taxed too much in America. And so we just decided we're going to raid the IRS and take some of our money back. And, you know, because we wanted those taxes back, then we would be pirates. Who would we root for? We root for us. Would we think we were on the right side of that? Or would, would we think that maybe the government has a point? The government is a great side villain in this story because they're relatable. There's a couple great little nods to rule following in this movie that come from all the characters, specifically uh, Elizabeth has a couple things. One that stuck out to me is early on in the film when she is talking to Will. I think it might have been their first interaction as old Elizabeth and Will. And she says, Will, how many times must I ask you to call me Miss Swan? Or, I'm sorry, Will, how many times must I ask you to call me Elizabeth? And he says, at least once more, Miss Swan. She is very upset by this, and so uh, she responds, good day, Mr. Turner, out of spite. And he says, good day, dot, dot, dot. He doesn't say dot, 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 but there's a pause, and he waits for her to turn and go, and he says Elizabeth under his breath. That's breaking the rules. Um, she's breaking the rules by calling him Will in the first place. She's trying to push that, and he's trying to be a rule follower. And this goes back to class um, and an issue of where they are and their status and she continues to push the boundaries of rules. Later, she even tells the pirates, she's like, you're pirates. Hang the code and hang the rules. They're more like guidelines anyway. And it plays off as a fun little joke. And it ends up with her being put in a rowboat because they don't go with her and help her save Jack. But it's her, again, exhibiting that spirit she has of freedom of choice. And not being bound to some system that tells her what action should be taken. And it's a great juxtaposition with her dad, who at Jack's hanging tells her Commodore Norrington is bound by the law as we all are. So he's your very clear, you know, like strict has to follow it on the law side. And I love it because it, it gives us so much great, um, I can't think of the word, not animosity, but just there's a lot of conflict that it creates um, in the way that characters are going to potentially react. And you mentioned it with Jack, like he's unpredictable and that's what makes him so darn exciting. And there's an unpredictability to who's going to follow the rules and when they're going to follow the rules and are they going to eventually change their mind? Because at the end, when Norrington changes his mind, it's a shock. You know, um, Will pops in and saves Jack and the screams, he's a pirate. And somebody says, and a good man. Will says, and a good man. He says, you forget your place, Turner. And Turner says, it's right here between you and Jack. And then, of course, Elizabeth jumps in. And it's a great big moment of feels, almost a connecting point. But the beauty of it is that their action and their standing up, putting their lives on the line for what they believe was the right time to break the rule, Norrington recognizes it. And he doesn't change. His character doesn't change. He's still going to follow the rules. But he says, perhaps on the rare occasion, pursuing the right course demands an act of piracy. Piracy itself can be the right course. And... He gives him a head start and lets him get away. And it's it's, it's beautiful. I, I thought it was beautiful because it's like, all right, I'm going to accept that there is some truth and, and honor to what is happening here. But I'm also bound by these rules and these laws that all of these people that follow us agree to and expect. And I still feel that there are issues with your piracy and I'm going to come get you, but I'm going to give you a chance because you've earned that much. And so there's a, like a, a giving of respect right there in the rule breaking. And I, and I love it, man. I think that moment is so key to have the rule following character of the whole movie break it, even just for a little bit. And for us as an audience, it makes him sympathetic. Because up until that point, he was the enemy. He and Barbosa, in their own ways. He, I don't think he was on screen enough to merit like, oh, I'm going to hate him. But he was set up early on 
because of what we see with Will and Elizabeth as the man you didn't want her to be with. And of course, using humor, we can see him trying to tell her that he wants to marry her. And she goes, I can't breathe. And he goes, I know it's, it's tough for me too. And then of course she falls off. But for all accounts by the book, you would want him to marry her. In fact, she says something to the maid. And again, this, this plays into this whole rule following versus breaking it. I love the conversation between the handmaid and her when she's getting Elizabeth ready for bed and she was talking about marrying Norrington because yes, he's a fine man. Any woman would be grateful to be with him. She says something about will and Elizabeth responds and says that was too bold. And so even in those little moments there, we see her having that tension between what she wants and what she's supposed to have. And I, I like that that's a common thing that happens throughout the movie and the fact that it helps get us as an audience to a resolution with really all of the characters. Because I feel like by the end of the movie, we have completion, which is why I was surprised when we see a sequel come out three or four years later. Again, it's a moneymaker, so that's why. But this feels like a complete story because we got resolution with everybody. Uh, the, the main three characters, the supporting characters, the other pirates in some way, shape, or form. We got enough of an arc with these various pockets of characters that nothing felt like it was a loose end, right? And so I think that whole thing with the law and everything and playing with that helped. And what's super great, even though we're not talking about them right now, is that all of these characters continue progressing in their character arcs throughout the series. For better and worse, whether you like all the story elements and the fantasy stuff that starts to take over the franchise, Norrington has an incredible arc as he goes on throughout the rest of the franchise. Mm -hmm. That's cool, man. That yeah. is cool. And I that's part of what makes this so close to my heart as a whole series. Yeah, it's it's taking care of your characters and not using them as as chess pieces in order to move another story forward, but to value them at that level. The three individual characters that we've mentioned, Will, Elizabeth, and Jack, all really seem to have a sort of destiny tied to their identity. I picked up on that and I believe you did too. Can can you expand on that, on your thoughts on those characters? Yeah, so th we, I think, are attuned to just struggles with identity. It's, it's a big thing in movies and storytelling that you and I like to see explored. And it shows itself right away in this movie. I think from the opening scene, it sets things up to be that way. The three kind of questions that I see posed for each character. I see Elizabeth dealing with this idea of, can we be what we dream of despite what our status or class expects of us? She dreams of freedom, of, of living a life like a pirate, not necessarily piracy. Um, and she doesn't want to be forced to marry the man that she's told she has to marry. She wants to be able to make these decisions and do these things that are not part of being the governor's daughter. Um, Will struggles with who his dad was, doesn't want to believe he was a pirate. You know, are we what our parents were? It's this idea of nature versus nurture. Will's Is Will's nature piracy, which is what Jack tells him, pirates in your blood? Or is it nurture? He grew up the blacksmith. Um, and he is a good man, and he it would have, by all accounts, followed the rules and wouldn't even say Elizabeth, would say Miss Swan. And then Jack, are we what we've always been? I feel like Jack struggles with this idea of his past and who he was and whether or not he's going to continue to make the same decisions. It is really fun to watch each of the characters go through these progressions for me, um, especially when you see how it plays out. Like Elizabeth is saved in that first moment by her knowledge of pirates because she calls parlay and they must honor the code. Now, obviously this is a fun kind of bouncy movie without a lot of straight up murder. So would she have been murdered in that moment by Barbosa's crew? I don't know. I mean, I believe it, she definitely could have been um, before they realized she had value. And I love the fact that 
the her desire to know about the world outside of what a person of her status normally would is what saves her. And Jack to Will, again, talking about that pirate being in his blood, he tells him the only rules that really matter are these, what a man can do and what a man can't do. For instance, you can accept that your father was a pirate and a good man, bookended by that moment at the end of the film that we just talked about where Norrington says Jack is a pirate and Will responds by saying, and a good man, beautiful writing. He says, or you can't, but pirate is in your blood, boy, and you're going to have to square with that someday. I love it, man. I love it because Jack doesn't say you're a pirate. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't tell him what he is. He leaves it open for Will to wrestle with and decide. But he says, you're going to have to figure it out, and you need to accept the past is the past. And what you do with it is your decision, how you choose to act. Your dad was able to be both a pirate and a good man. Maybe that's what he's alluding to Will, the the path Will should walk, but he doesn't tell him that. He just gives him this advice and lets Will make his choices, and Will does, right? Which ultimately saves his life. And, you know, with regards to Jack... I just, his ultimate arc and what he's after, what matters to his identity kind of ties into my connecting point. So I'll talk about that more later, but I really love that this movie is three unique journeys. And that's, that's what sets it apart again from the rest of the franchise when it starts to really kind of be too much about just Jack. Um, it, I feel like all of these characters matter so much and, uh, and are equally important and equally necessary to each other and to the story as a whole. I'm challenged by those three because in, in good storytelling, you have a new normal for your main character or main characters. And I saw that with Elizabeth and I saw that with Will. I'm not quite sure I latched onto the new normal with Jack. Maybe it was there. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was subtle, but that's not a bad thing. I don't feel like there was a fail if that didn't happen. I felt as though he was the crux to allow them to get to that new normal individually and together. Because I think had had either of them not gotten to their new normal, they wouldn't have gotten together. Will wouldn't have fought for her. She wouldn't have been as bold and challenged the status quo and gone after Will. And that last scene would not have happened. So I think in some ways, Jack is this weird mentor <laughs> That empowers yeah. both of them, Will more so than Elizabeth, because he's connected to Will a little bit more throughout the the narrative. But I think that for both of them, he was the reason, directly and indirectly, why they were able to get to that new normal by the end of the story. Well, before we get into our connecting points, I just want to throw some love to some of the technicals. Uh, watching this, I fell in love with Klaus Bedelt and Hans Zimmer all over again. As you mentioned, Aaron, this is the definitive pirate score. I, I put it up there with uh, so Assassin, Assassin's Creed Black Flag uh, on a higher level. But I think that if I'm going to listen to a pirate soundtrack or if I want to feel like a swashbuckler, this is the soundtrack that I listen to. I also think the choreography is top notch. Absolutely phenomenal. I think it's not overdone. It doesn't feel hokey. It feels very much dramatic when it needs to be comedic when it needs to be it's got those again those princess bride moments where it feels like a dance and it feels like a a humorous kind of thing at times and then other times it feels a lot more serious the big moments for me were visually seeing the pirates take a walk in the ocean as they're going to take on the uh the fleet i can't remember the name um it, it escapes me but the red coats essentially and to have that that shot of these of these pirates coming at you under the water, going back and forth between their human and ghost forms. I loved, loved, love those visuals. Yeah, that's that's one of the absolute best scenes in the movie. It's it's iconic. It's what you remember when you think of Pirates of the Caribbean and this movie. And it's also really well done from a writing standpoint that I've noticed in this one as well, because you can see how Jack has planned this to go and he's like all right everybody and again the beauty of this movie it plays out that humorous style right where he's like to the boats and nobody does anything and then he's like oh you're the captain you know and he does his little arm twirl to 
nod to Barbosa, like, okay, you're the captain, you give the order. And as an audience, we're like, okay, that was funny. Jack tried to be the captain. Haha, ha. now Barbosa's going to tell him to go to the boats. But he doesn't. He says, gents, take a walk. And you can see immediately Jack realize what's happening and go, oh crap. He's like, uh oh, you're not, not to the boats? Cause that's not good if you're not going to the boats. <laughs> and it's just, ah, uh, it's so awesome. And that score hits in that moment. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, the choreography though, I think you're right. Like both in the sword fighting, two big sword fights, the one between Jack and Barbosa at the end, the way that plays out, the way that the various, um, skeletal versions are punctured or given a bomb things like that that is all done in really cool unique ways the battle on the boat uh, is a good example of that but the other big choreographed fight being the one with will and jack with you know balancing on the beams and all over the blacksmith shop but the other choreography that's awesome is kind of just the creativity in the way things happen with jack this is a hallmark of the entire series, and it's never been at higher than it is here. Two moments stick out to me huge. One is Jack's introduction as he's coming into port, riding on a mast that is sinking his ship and just stepping off onto the dock. Like, dude, it's as iconic of a character introduction as I think we've ever had in cinema for any other character. It's that memorable. And that amazing and, and like immediately puts you in the headspace of what is going on with this character? And then specifically the creativity in the way that they steal the interceptor. I just get giddy at that, Patrick. I'm literally giggling just like when the characters say this is either madness or brilliant. And the guy goes, it's amazing how often those two coincide. And Norrington says... That is without a doubt the worst pirate I've ever seen because they think that they've caught Jack cold and he's on this boat and then he swings over, steals the interceptor and says, thanks for getting her underway because we would have had a hard time doing it ourselves. And the guy, the first officer standing next to Norrington, just looking out over the horizon at the interceptor goes, that's got to be the best pirate I've ever seen. And Norrington's just like scowling under his breath. He's like, so it would seem. And I mean, that's how I felt like that creativity of that sequence swinging around the mast and moving the sails. Oh man, it is so, so fun to watch. Well, and it's interesting to me because all of that ties into the realization that Captain Jack Sparrow has a plan. It may not be a good plan, but there he's always go. got yeah. a plan. And we have to take that into account when we, when we deal with him. Oftentimes, I think it's a plan that's happening as the moment kind of defines it, but there's always something, and he's always thinking, which says a lot about him as a pirate, that he should be a pirate that is that is known. And I, and I think it's great when he gets captured, and Norrington sees him, and he goes, Captain Jack Sparrow, um, I haven't, or he said something about his ship, and he goes, where's your ship? He goes, I'm in the market, you know, and then uh-huh. he makes he- a he makes, he a, makes a dig, yeah. He digs at him because he's like, he's like, you're, you're the worst pirate I've ever heard of. And I love that Jack goes, ah, but you have heard of me. But you have heard of me, yes. <laughs> so he's so optimistic about his. It, it's just great, and it it's smile from from cheek to cheek throughout the entire movie, and it just makes you feel good. It, it's a movie that just this is what movies should do. You should go to a movie theater anticipating to have a good time and you should walk out smiling and i think that goes back to what you mentioned we don't have these in abundance anymore so having a movie like pirates of the caribbean in our midst as it's almost what it's over 15 years old yeah 16 years old i i don't i don't know that it's ever been replicated at least in the pirate genre for sure i guess it tried with it, its other entries but i don't think anything will ever come close to this well let's move into our connecting points as we finish off the conversation aaron do you want to kick us off or would you like me to go first i'll go first savvy <laughs> that's your dog that's my but dog. Yes, yes go ahead i will go first <laughs> the moment the the cp is really more of a scene than anything else and it ties back into my one word takeaway with regards to adventure and 
it's the scene where Barbosa is talking to Elizabeth while they're having dinner. And first, I love how it starts out with her taking the fork and just taking a little bite. And he's basically saying, hey, you don't have to be formal here. You must be starving. And then she just chows and just eats it like not like a lady. And, you know, kind of lets her guard down a little bit. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of that scene with Miriam in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it sort of plays itself out because at some point, you know, she's going to grab a knife to to try to attack him. What I love about this scene is that it gives really great exposition to what the curse is all about. It incorporates the whole story about Cortez's gold and how it was cursed because it was blood money. And it adds the sense of real, I'm going to say humanity, even though I know that kind of feels a little tongue in cheek when we're dealing with pirates who turn to ghosts. But I think that it allows us to feel a little bit of Barbosa's pain because as he's as he's watching her eat, he goes, try this, try some wine and an apple. And what we think is what she does. We think he's trying to poison her when in actuality, what we find out, he can't taste any of it. And so he's almost living vicariously through her, watching her just devour this food. And he's telling the story. And I love the the subtlety of the things moving on the ship because the ship's moving back and forth. And so you see like plates moving subtly from left to right at the table. I love those little intricate things that are paid attention to. Um, but as the, as the scene ends or as it comes to its culmination, he's telling her about the fact that, you know, we can't taste anything. The, the companionship of a woman is lost on us. And the reason why is because and then the doors open and you see this flood of skeletons working on the ship, you know, mopping, you know, swabbing the decks and doing all the piratey stuff and all the sailor stuff. And so we're getting this big cornucopia of what was hinted at early on with the with the arm grabbing Jack in the prison. But then this is the culmination of that. And the exclamation point to this scene is probably my favorite line in the entire movie. He says, you better start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. And he steps out into the moonlight and you see the ghost figure of Barbosa and he goes, you're in one. And then the music kicks in and it's like, and she screams and she goes into the, the barracks or the, the chambers and, and he laughs and it's like, that's a pirate movie. This is where I absolutely fell in love with the movie was this moment in this scene because you're getting all this information, but you're getting it in a creative way and you're getting to see all the special effects that are incredibly memorable in a way that you want to go back and say, like I was telling Chris when we were watching it, I was like, watch this, watch this, watch this. You're in one. I'm like, yeah, it, it's awesome. I'm a, I'm a kid at that moment and I want people to that are with me like don't don't look at your phone look at this this is so good and that's when it happens to me I think that is the moment that made me smile the biggest yeah it is my favorite scene in the movie it's not my connecting point but it very well could be for that same reason because it is like the moment in this movie that I am at the highest of highs and it works like a mid peak of the movie. It's like a, a middle point uh, that it's that it's hitting. It's so good. Completely agree with you. Everything about it. The ominous music in the background as he's telling the story and giving us the the cursed treasure explanation. And I, I love that the wine goes down his throat and you get to see it kind of come out. I actually had really taken notice this time around of what you mentioned. His kind of desire to be rid of the curse, the way he watched her when she ate. So subtle, but really phenomenal acting by Jeffrey Rush in this movie as Barbosa. I mean, he gets kind of pushed off and not not talked about but because of Jack Sparrow, but Barbosa is a, an amazing character, very well created. And when you think about who he is and why he is acting the way he is, that he's trying to get rid of this curse and the things he's done in his life that led to this point, Gosh, there's a lot of empathy you can have for him, and it makes him really, really interesting. And like you said, yeah, that man, that that line, then the way it's delivered, and then the laughter, and the way that he turns towards the crew, and the crew laughs too. I think that's huge as well, because you can see like they're in this together, and they all are getting a hoot out of the captain 
terrorizing <laughs> this poor woman. And it's just very, it's, it's the most like pirate thing ever. It's, it's awesome. And the skeletal Absolutely. monkey, the skeletal monkey. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh and by the way, that scene kind of kicks off that whole sequence with probably my favorite quote of this entire movie. And the one that I use the most in everyday life, which is, I am disinclined to acquiesce to his request. I have, I said that for probably a year straight when somebody would ask me a question that I knew I was going to say no to. Yeah. I think I did it with my parents once and I didn't do it again because they were like, don't do that. That's Stop not, that. that's, that's not okay. You're like, it means no though. It means no. And they're like, yeah, we know what it means. Just stop saying it. Yeah, for real. <laughs> well, my CP is really not a scene so much as it is an idea. And there's a piece of a scene here, really, but it's, it's kind of bits thrown together. And that is just, Jack's love, Jack's identity, what Jack cares about, and that is his feelings for the Black Pearl. The end of the film, I mentioned, was a strong contender for me. The way that Will saves him and Will and Elizabeth come together and Norrington acquiesces to allow it. It sort of ties in, though, to what I ultimately chose, because that moment at the very, very end, after that, highlights how the crew views piracy. When Jack gets back to the ship, it's immediately they turn to follow him. And it's all about community and a sense of belonging. Now, remember, they have left him behind at this point. And so when he gets back, there could be some animosity. And the film even sets it up to where we don't know how the reunion's going to go. Is Jack going to hold a grudge? Uh, is the crew going to take him back? But... He gives them orders, and Gibbs chimes into action, yells at them, and it's like they needed to hear that. It's like the crew and the ship needed Jack to be complete. It's a routine. It's a place that they feel comfortable, and they're pirates for a reason. They're part of that crew, and they're part of Jack's followers who never were men who committed mutiny for a reason. And for Jack, he's back at the, the helm of the Pearl. And it's his one true love. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful ending to have him putting his hands on that wheel. The entire film, he's chasing this ship. It is his goal above and beyond all else. So I think ultimately, if I had to pick a specific scene, it would be the moment that he expresses in a beautiful way, telling of the truth. He says, wherever we want to go, we go. That's what a ship is, you know. It's not just a keel and a hull and a deck and sails. That's what a ship needs. But what a ship is, what the Black Pearl really is, is freedom. And that is Jack's identity, is freedom. It's being a free man to go where he wants to go, do what he needs to do or wants to do in, in situations. And that's what Elizabeth finds so compelling about him, because that's what she wants too. And he's not a man who wants to be bound by the rules of the current culture. And all of that is symbolized and attained by the Black Pearl. And maybe he puts too much significance on that. Maybe that could be any ship, right? But it's not for Jack. It's it, There's memories, there's history that are tied to his experiences in life with that vessel. And I just, I just love, it's a beautiful description, man. And it's like, I guess I get it because I've been a sailor and I think of people who name their boats and name their ships and why they're meaningful, like people who name their cars. I don't do that. I don't feel that way about my vehicle, but I know plenty of people who do, and it's very similar to that. It's not about the mechanical, physical being of the thing. It's about what that being provides for you as a person in your yeah. life. There's a huge amount of pride that goes with that, and seeing him have that back and having him touch the wheel I think is – Again, part of that resolution that I appreciate about this story and I'm grateful that it can stand on its own. It doesn't need to feel like it needs to be sequeled. So yay for that. <laughs> well, man, this was fun. Uh, that brings us to the end of our podcasting adventure. We hope it's been as much fun for you as it has for us. And uh, we'll continue our content packed week with coverage of Spider-Man Far From Home dropping in less than 48 hours. But if you just can't wait till then, we also have our June bonus content available for those of you who support us through Patreon. 
If you want to find out how you can access that bonus content and more for as little as $1, you can check us out at patreon.com slash feelingfilm. Aaron, thank you so much for another great conversation, my friend, and we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filled.